Hello everyone, welcome to the Warif podcast, a place for dialogue on development that promotes social, economic and environmental progress. My name is Abir and I'm your host. It's my joy to connect with fellow developmental professionals, practitioners, academics and enthusiasts. My mission is to make the world a more kind, safe and clean place. I believe even small steps in the right direction can cause a chain reaction towards larger positive impact. Let's meet our guests and learn how they're working towards a better world. Hello, hello everyone. Welcome everyone to another episode at Warif. Today I have with me another guest speaker, Ethan Kent. Ethan is a great friend of mine and today we're going to speak about uh, how placemaking can contribute to SDG 11.3. So I'll give you a little bit about Ethan Kent. Ethan Kent is the executive director of Placemaking X, uh, which is an NGO. Ethan Kent works to support public space and placemaking leadership around the world to grow the global placemaking movement that he helped found. In 2019, he co-founded Placemaking X to network and accelerate placemaking for global impact, supporting the creation of 15-plus regional placemaking networks. Ethan built on more than two decades of experience working with local communities on public spaces and placemaking campaigns, traveling to more than 1,000 cities and towns, wow, in 60 countries. He has been integral to the development of placemaking as a transformative approach to economic development, environmentalism, transportation, planning, governance, resilience, social equity, design, digital space, inclusion, tourism, and innovation. Ethan has keynoted well over 100 leading urbanism conferences and has helped organize dozens of the conferences that have most shaped the placemaking movement. Welcome, Ethan Kent, to a new episode of Warif. We're so happy and honored to have you here with us today. Thrilled to be here with you. Real excited to connect to your conversation and integrate our efforts with with yours in in Saudi Arabia. Wonderful. So to start the conversation, delving deep into the questions, I would like to ask you, what spurred your interest to like embark into this adventure of placemaking for over two decades? I was uh, very lucky to, to grow up in a family of sort of social change advocates. My father actually organized the first Earth Day in 1970, and I grew up around a lot of the founders of the environmental movement here in New York City. And my mother um, was also into environmental issues, but worked with an international organization that looked at local culture and local economies and looked at the impacts of globalization on local culture and local economies. Um, So I grew up around some amazing people, and then I got to travel a lot. Uh, and for my father founded an organization called Project for Public Spaces in 1975 to really make cities work, to realize that cities and how humans are, are failing to connect with and be supported by their public spaces, how that challenge is fundamental to the larger environmental crisis, health, equity, economic crises around the world. And through that 
work, in the, which I joined in the, in the late 90s, you know, he, he got to work in thousands of communities. And I, I've traveled to, you know, more than a thousand communities, learning with, with cities, with local people on how to create better public spaces, but saw increasingly saw public space and placemaking, which was a term we developed to explain the processes and the methodologies we developed to, to improve public spaces, increasingly saw place and placemaking in public space as a movement unto itself, but, but perhaps even more importantly, a, a cause and a movement that can bring together many other disciplines and causes um, for more systemic change. But, we, but also we saw public space and placemaking as a positive force. It's not, ju- not just a problem like many other causes, but something that is exciting, fun to work with, compelling, yeah. uh, and something that everyone actually knows a lot about. They just haven't been asked. We ha- everyone has great ideas about public spaces and, and placemaking. And so where environmentalism, you know, was obvious, was and is, you know, responding to a great crisis, yeah. and resilience has been about bouncing back. We see place and placemaking as a way to challenge and inspire people to create a world that thrives, addressing our, our many challenges. Absolutely. And it's all about the place and the people. That's placemaking, right? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's about sort of returning to the fundamentals of, you know, human civilization before, building yeah before the industrialization period i guess right does that make any sense yeah you know bef- certainly there's different ways that we've disconnected from our place and our connections to places and each other um and industrialization caused some of that uproot certainly the automobile has has also affected a lot of it and at the same time the places that people most love that we go to on vacations are are places that were created you know collectively by people in in these ways you know it's some placemaking is a you know it's a, it's a long time you know h- human skill that we sometimes forget how to, how to we need to reconnect to in many ways excellent uh i just want to read the target 11.13 for our guests because mm-hmm. it may be vague for them 11.13 uh, target is an sdg uh, that is related to urbanization and this episode is all about placemaking and this target, the SDG target 11.3. So 11.3 target is means or indicates that by 2000, uh, by 2030, enhanced inclusive and sustainable urbanization and capacity for participatory, integrated and sustainable human settlement planning and management in all countries. And then there's another sub-indicator, which is 113.2, which is proportion of cities with a direct participation structure of civil society and urban planning and management that operate regularly. So uh, with that emphasis on the participation of a civil society, I would like to discuss with you and ask you, how the current situation in the world at the moment when it comes to urbanization, it's more of like a client-based approach. Like the SDG uh, sub-indicator 11.3.2 is referring to civil society participation, which means that it's a community-based approach. Can you explain to us the difference between the two and how important is community-based approach to placemaking? Definitely, yeah. So, so in in trying to help fix and improve public spaces around the world, we you know we quickly learned that the limiting factor was 
how people connected to them, how they felt a sense of ownership over them, how they were able to participate in, in their shaping and their recreation. And we also realized that, you know, even if you know all the experts have the right ideas, we're not going to create change fast enough unless we harness the power of 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 all people to co-create environments to make them work. So it's not just about a it's the right thing to do, it's the nice thing to do to include people. It's it's about we need to build the capacity of you know all of humanity to to create places that work, to create human settlements that not only you know allow us to sustain ourselves but allow us all of us to thrive. So whether it's you know at the very human scale, a lot of our work was very much creating a square, a market, a waterfront, a street, and we developed placemaking methodologies to hmm. support the co-creation of these spaces in ways that are constructive, that you know where the processes are, are are effective. And then we realized, of course, that those same methodologies applied to a district or a city or even a, a, a country and how you build a placemaking movement, how you build capacity for placemaking across sectors, across disciplines, and how you don't want any one sector or discipline to dominate, actually. Uh, leadership can come from anywhere. It can come from a head of state, a, a, an advocate, a, an architect, an academic, but they both best succeed when they uh, are able to lead in a facilitative way that gets other people on board, that um, allow, allows good ideas to come from anywhere, for ownership to come from other places. And the public spaces actually feel most public, most people most connect to them when it feels like they're helping to create them themselves on some level, when they're feel like they're shapers of them. They're, they actually take some responsibility for smiling at people or, or, you know, or, or being enjoying it in a way that other people that inspires other people to enjoy the space as well. And from your experience, when you encourage public speaking, how do you approach the community to be actively participating in public placing? So yes, in, in some ways, many communities have atrophied in their ability to participate in the world beyond their homes. We've become, you know, especially in America here, we've become more private. We live in the back of our homes, in our cars and so forth. So people have forgotten in, in, in some you know, more Western parts of the world, certainly. But at the same time, when, when you show them uh, how they can have a big impact with a small change, they often participate differently. So it used to be we do surveys and uh, and lots of observation of how people use public space and data collection. Um, increasingly, we do we recommend doing temporary activations of public spaces that bring people out and show them how spaces can change and how and then have them participate in those in, you know those those activations. Um, so whether it's closing a street temporarily, putting a market up, or um, you know having uh, activating a plaza in a temporary way, people then say, this worked or this didn't work, having a good debate. People, even if it's a bad idea, there's some mistakes made, sometimes all the better because good discussions can lead to greater learning and greater collective action. So it's all action oriented, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's trying to create doers, getting everyone to, to be placemakers, not just, you know, not just experts, um, not just complaining about a place. We're giving them the power, we're challenging them and giving them the power to, be creators of their places. Yeah, but how do you do that? It's such a challenge. So you start, you know, wherever there's some momentum. You know, there's small actions. Uh, we have, you know, we have something called a porch placemaking day all, all over the world where people are just doing something small in front of their home. They're putting out some flowers or they're putting a bench in front or they're, you know, adding, they're, they're using a parking spot in a way that better, you know, that's 
adds more social life to the neighborhood than having a car there. You know, they're again closing a, doing a play street or a, a temporary street for children that um, I'm doing one in front of my, my kid's school now where uh, they don't have any schoolyard. So they're going to close the street a couple of days, you know, and use that for recreation. And so it's, it's small things that then people start to realize that this public space can be something that they, they shape, that yeah. they um, take responsibility for. Yeah. And uh, speaking of public placemaking, I think the U.S. and Saudi Arabia has so many in common and Australia as well. Because yeah. we have like the big streets and the highways and all of that and less pavements, excluding New York and other some cities. So Europe is a very great example, I think, of public, of a placemaking uh, like Amsterdam and Paris. Do you agree with me? Definitely. There's, you know, there's a lot to learn from the urbanism of Europe, you know, and, and it should be even easier to do good placemaking with you know, modern materials and approaches as well. So yes, we need to make sure we learn from what's worked in the past. And unfortunately, we're copying a lot of the worst mistakes of, of uh, you know, modern car into development and architecture that's about objects, not about places. But, uh, the, you know, the, there's silver linings to a lot of the mistakes we've made too. There's when we have wide roads, uh, in some cases, it means there's space to to reinvent these these areas for other for other uses in in and user groups other than just the car. So we, yeah, we have to look at these challenges as opportunities. Okay, and I want to ask you, like for example, the design of Washington DC, which was designed by an American French uh, urban uh, planner. I think his name is Pierre or Peter Charles. Is that considered like placemaking because of the big boulevards and like the parks and you know, the sculptures and the beauty. Is this an example? So those types of more master planned communities definitely affect placemaking and, and, you know, we need to get that right to make good places. Most of the placemaking that we've been involved with is, has been more working at a smaller scale to really sort of reinvent and reinform larger scale planning. But we have been able to, in communities, actually in the UAE and a couple of places, we've been allowed to lead a master planning team where that wants to look to make sure the public spaces work. And sometimes we're given a larger layout of like, like LaFont created for, for DC. But then we say, well, these spaces are too big and these spaces need purpose. And we, we start to benchmark them against first some of the best public spaces in the world start to work with a local community to figure out what the program, what the demands are for public spaces and how you can attract a whole range of different user groups from tourists to locals to layer their experiences into these spaces. And then you start to adjust the master plan to make sure that it works at the place scale, at the public space scale. Okay. What do you think is the definition of urban development uh, today, as opposed to placemaking to urban development experts? So, I mean, urban development's, you know, also a broad term. We like to think that place and placemaking is a way to make the conversation accessible to more people, but also to challenge and support disciplines to break down the silos of their different departments and disciplines, because most urban development is unfortunately divided up into roads or buildings or parks or, you know, public facilities. And really for all those to work, if we're, we're investing way too much in those alone in ways that actually limit their outcomes because they're not, none of them are being leveraged to create places. 
they're actually degrading places where the new, the, the way, the dominant way of leading with mobility, um, usually for cars, but even leading with alternative mobility forgets to create the destinations the transportation system is meant to bring people to. It often degrades those destinations. When really, if we start to turn the conversation upside down to lead with places and destinations, we make a system that's actually more compatible with biking, walking, and transit. And even with car sharing and, and autonomous vehicles eventually that don't need to park at the destination. So we really, we can't, it's not about being against the car or against any one of these disciplines, but it's about using a focus on place and placemaking to draw out the best, the most progressive ideas from these different disciplines. You know, each discipline is trying to lead the urban development process through, even, even the landscape architects are trying to lead with greening or green infrastructure. But if it, you just have a city that's very green with green infrastructure, it's not going to work for people. It's not going to be about the local economy, the local culture, human and social life, and it won't work. The parks won't work. So we want more green and greening. We want more landscape architecture, but leading with it has actually been one of the big mistakes that a lot of cities make. Um, but you could say the same with any discipline, leading with object architecture, with star architects, or with yes. you know traffic engineering or, or so yeah. forth. Yeah. So we have a lot of great topics in store for you today, Ethan. So including yeah. your background and experiences in many subsectors and urban development and what that means to us today and also on the future of projects working to develop public spaces and what they could have in store for us. Stick around until the end to hear about where we are heading into the future and what we can expect to see as innovation continues to increase. So uh, to start off, I'd like to ask, you a few questions about your personal experiences and what brought you here that's the second part and what was your uh, own personal story for fostering an interest in, in in this field and working in urban development i know you already uh, explained a little bit about that earlier but if you could give us a story like about why you're so passionate about this field what was it what was the ticking point? You know, that's what I'm asking about. Uh, what was it that initially sparked your interest and the ticking point that had you interested in dedicating your time to a project like this? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's been an evolution throughout my life. Um, and you know, again, I've been lucky to be around some incredible mentors. And then I've been parts of lots of communities and um, gotten to visit many strong communities where I've witnessed how people and places can build each other up. And I've certainly been built up by my community here in New York and Brooklyn, but also by my by my global communities. And I've gotten to meet and learn from a lot of the leading urbanists, uh, developers, you know, architects, planners, transportation engineers all around the world. And I increasingly saw how the biggest impact we were having around a public space or a city was how I I was use place and public spaces as a way to bring people together from for broader collective learning, advocacy, and action. Mm-hmm. And then began to see how that same, uh, I was also very luckily positioned to facilitate that collective advocacy action and learning in different regions around the world and globally. So it's, you know, I, I feel a you know responsibility and an opportunity to, to connect all this learning and, and to, use the, the the lens of place and public space to facilitate the big change that's needed to achieve the SDGs, um, as, you, as you pointed out. You know, academically, I, I also had a very multidisciplinary background from sociology, environmental studies, economics, 
and uh and and then you know i got to work with my father and, and other colleagues at project for public spaces you know where we the, most of the work was learning from communities was asking them lots of questions was you know working with the, the tensions and debates at a very micro level in in contexts all around the world from you know from urban slums in india to some of the wealthiest yeah. neighborhoods in the world to you know we worked on harvard's campus to you know to corporate campuses and worked with foundations corp, you know major corporations and, but also you know n- nonprofits in some of the poorest neighborhoods in this country or latin america and so forth so seeing how seeing the commonalities you know that the the, the placemaking deals with and can offer you yeah. know but also seeing the the great diversity that this planet has mm. So I'm I'm personally curious about how did you find the company placemaking, and why did you decide it was an opportunity to jump on? So yeah, I mean it was another sort of evolution, and it was just a few years ago now. Uh, so Project for Public Spaces was you know is is a nonprofit that was funded entirely by our technical assistance work, and so it was a consulting organization. It was a not for profit and in the sort of last five, 10 years of working there, the goal became to build a placemaking movement where we organized conferences and training courses all over the world. I and, took one of your courses, by the way. It was excellent. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And so we have an extraordinary community of people that have gone through those training courses. And, and you know, we started to see how we could start to build a field. And so Project for Public Spaces is still a model not-for-profit practicing placemaking, but we realized to really expand the the impact and potential of placemaking, it needed a new kind of organization to, to focus on the, the network building, the, 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 the movement building, and the collective advocacy of these leaders. And, and also at the same time, we were seeing placemaking innovation and leadership emerging in different parts of the world that frankly was going much further than we had gone, you know, that in different ways. Each part of the world is leading the placemaking conversation from a different sector, from a different perspective. Mm. But also holding back in different ways. So we saw a need to network it globally so yeah. that the learning could be shared and so yeah. that people that are leading in one way in one part of the world could help another part of the world with what yeah. they're learning and how they're overcoming certain challenges. The cultural um, relevance, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And and every strength is a weakness too. So every every, you know, and any way that one part of the world could be criticized, there's also something that's positive that's going with that in, ter- in terms of their placemaking learning, uh, for at least. Yeah, absolutely. And have you seen other companies doing similar work to what you do? If so, what makes placemaking stand out among the rest? Yeah. So, so yeah, that was part of it is that I got to work with other placemaking organizations that were starting to emerge around the world. I think Project for Public Spaces was really you know, the first one, but uh, there, there's really strong ones that I've learned a lot from and, and continue to work very closely with, you know, in Australia and Europe. In you know around Latin America, there's actually quite a few, and uh, in, in Asia, there's there's quite a few emerging now too. So and then in, in the in the in the MENA region, there's some too. And and, and uh, so so the the thought was we need to connect these folks. We need to help show how these people aren't alone. That they're all they're all doing this. They're not crazy. You know they're 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 coming to these conclusions themselves yeah. sometimes, but also yeah. by nature. You're right. By nature. Yeah. There, there, people are drawn to this, but then we need to, you know, we need to show their collective power, support their, support their professional development, their further learning. Yeah. And, and it's, so it's, it's emerging really as a field, you know, we don't want it to see, be a field that competes with 
urban planning and architecture and, and landscape architecture, in some ways it, it will, but most importantly, we see it as one that connects um, and brings, creates demand for those fields as well by bringing in other, by allowing collaboration, bringing in communities to participate and be better clients, be better partners, and to ground the conversation in deeper systemic change for great places, not just for great landscape architecture or great architecture. That's, we, we see that as a very limited goal that ultimately limits the outcomes that those fields can achieve. Okay. So in this section, I want to know what is placemaking and why do we need it? Next, I want to get into some information about placemaking itself. Your company, Placemaking, has a mission to, of accelerating placemaking to create healthy communities. Can you explain to us what placemaking means in this context? So it is a word that you know, has been used for a long time, and we started sort of using it in the in the mid-90s to articulate the process that we developed at Pratchard for Public Spaces. And at that time, it, you know, it was a particular process that was very much about community participation and um, leading with, you know, user experience and, you know, more user sensitive approach to designing spaces. Increasingly, as I said, we realized the limiting factor was participation and in encouraging and supporting communities to shape their public spaces. But now it, we see an important part of the placemaking process is really debating what placemaking is, who does it, who is it for. And it's really just an ongoing question of how do we all best work together to shape our public realm. And if anyone dominates the placemaking process, or the public spaces that are created through it, it limits it for, for them actually and everyone else. Yeah. So we we see placemaking as you know as a process through which we maximize the shared value of the public realm and you know, but ideally in a collective, you know, facilitative way. So how does placemaking contribute to our communities? Can you explain how you bring your vision and mission to life, whether through workshops, seminars, you mentioned trainings yeah. and conferences or other means? So placemaking X, uh, which we, we we call it placemaking X because it's it's an accelerator for placemaking leadership, for placemaking uh -huh. organizations, for placemaking okay. as a cause globally. Okay. So a lot of our work has been doing trainings and conferences and then helping to set up these regional networks. So there's now about 18 regional networks and we're excited to to work with Saudi Arabia and you to, to start at one in, in, in this region. There is a, an Amakin network that we're excited you're connected to with as well that represents the, the Arab placemaking world. Yeah. Um, the extreme, you know, extraordinary group of people that's emerging from that from that world. Yeah. So a lot of our work is supporting these networks, often working towards events, doing trainings with them, but really connecting the dots between all the, the placemaking projects, leadership, uh, research, and events that are going on to build and, and support a, a movement in a field for, for, this, for this cause. Placemaking X doesn't really do projects much anymore, but we support the people that do and, are, and we try to help cities yeah. more uh, more uh, fluidly draw on the best expertise in the world that's relevant to whatever challenges that they're facing. It's like you're like incubating talent capacity, I guess, right? Very much, yeah. It's a it's, a, it's yeah. an accelerator for the, these leaders to you know to emerge for young leaders for for older ones and to help them draw on each other, learn from each other. Uh, you know, we really want you know these people to succeed. We want the places to succeed. Absolutely, we, we're trying to connect people in the right ways to accelerate the potential of all of our collective capacity to, to do effective placemaking. Fantastic. So you have keynote at over 100 of the top conferences for urban de development. 
Can you give us a short idea about what you speak about and share at these conferences? What movement are you trying to shape and what change do your speeches intend to spark? Yeah, so I've, yeah, I have been very lucky to go to a lot of leading conferences and been given a chance to to present you know, our ideas on placemaking. You know, what's often been really interesting, you know, especially earlier on, it was going to conferences from other causes and movements, whether it's environmental conferences or transportation conferences, smart cities, architecture conferences, where we discuss how a focus on place and placemaking can bring in new partners to their effort, can disrupt and challenge some of the, the status quo that's going on and can enable the progress within their, their disciplines. Increasingly, though, we, I, I've been organizing conferences that are about placemaking first and foremost to bring together many different causes to these placemaking events. So in, in those conferences, it's, it's discussing how we can collectively advance um, the movement, the learning, and how we can move from where there's success now, which is the low-cost improvements to shape and support investment and development to you know, really shift and challenge the transportation paradigm, the, the, the real estate paradigm, uh, the tourism paradigm and you know, other causes as well. So it's, you know, it's, it's place and placemaking is really at the center of many, many discussions. Yeah. And, but we still, you know, we still love connecting whatever discipline, whatever, whatever cause people have. We love using the place and public space lens to, uh, you know, allow for more fundamental impacts and, and, uh, and collaborations. Interesting. So in this section, in the final section, we're going to be speaking about the future of development I have a few questions about the future of our urban development. Without any intervention, where do you see our communities heading? And is intervention something we need in order to create a beneficial future for everyone? Like what steps do you see as necessary in order to spark this intervention? We often recommend you know, interventions in public spaces as as a, as a disruption to the urban development paradigm, the dominant urban development paradigm, where traditionally it's been around the building, the housing unit, or the infrastructure project, or the big architectural statement. Or the hostile um, architectures, right? Yeah, right. Ho- yeah, very, very hostile architecture, which is, host- which is you know, like all those alone often are hostile to public space and to people. And then, you know, so but not only do we recommend investing in, the place, the public space, but we think that the interventions are often best done in a way that is lighter, quicker, and cheaper, we call it. And we think a lot of the best public spaces around the world actually don't cost that much necessarily. And there's a lot of common sense in them. They're more around use, less around sort of the less around the object, the form, the infrastructure, you know, the the aesthetic even. And uh, you know, those are aesthetics are important. We want infrastructure, we want investment in public space. But we think to get there, it's often about more temporary, low-cost materials that make it accessible to everybody, that make everyone feel welcome in a space, that test and experiment with potential uses that then inform and drive demand for larger investments in, in infrastructure to support those uses. So, you know, this a lot of urban development is still around, you know, getting loans, big infrastructure projects, the big engineering and architecture firms get their revenue from getting a percentage of the building fees so they're not incentivized to build a, a public space that doesn't cost that much necessarily. And uh, um, But ultimately, again, we think that making public spaces work are going to make cities work, are going to draw their creativity more, are going to drive demand for good development and more development. Uh, we need more we need more housing. We need, we need cities. Our people are moving to cities. We need to develop cities quickly. We need to do it right, though. 
right now we're doing it in a way that degrades public spaces, that creates place deserts, um, which perpetuates disconnection that is undermining human health, equity, participation, creativity. And the way to reverse that is to lead with place and public space and, and how people and challenge and support people to be co-creators of those spaces. I totally agree with you, especially that I uh, uh, believe, I strongly believe in community-based approach. And I have a question, um, in your opinion, is economic and urban development something enough people are focused on today? If not, why is that? And also, what do you think can be done to change the mindset of the general public in order to see the change that has to happen? I think, you know, urban development, economic development is is something that, you know, yes, lots of people are, are focused on, but it's also, it's not something people know how to, they're not given a way to contribute to it. It seems very abstract to people. It's something only for experts and there's sort of myths about it. It's, you know, it's, it's you know, it's wealthy men that do urban development and, and, and we really need to democratize who can who can shape the city, and we need to feminize it too. We need we need cities to be built for and by women to make them work better for men, actually, to make them work better for everybody. So urban development is you know isn't really working, and yeah, and there's and it's been disconnected from people. You know, people. It's it, I think the biggest crisis in the world in some ways might be that we're at a low point in our participation in shaping our world and how people are allowed to and supported to shape their world. So it doesn't mean that we need everyone shaping large-scale urban development plans. The way to turn it around is to find the ways that they can contribute at a smaller scale collectively that build up to big change. So that's, you know, again, participating in improving the spaces in front of their homes, their streets, you know, making making places work at that at this human scale and building up the governance, economic structures, local economic activity that really are what makes cities thrive. Absolutely. I have a question related to that. What would you like to see happen in order to benefit our future the most? In other words, what is the most important part of development in general? Urban tourism, digital, social innovation, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, each each field offers a great opportunity for transformation and for place and place making to have an impact. A favorite topic of mine right now is, is around tourism, actually, and mm. how, and especially as we're coming out of the pandemic and sort of the tourism industry was obviously affected and people are looking at it at a new, um, we're at a right moment to rethink that, you know, where the dominant model of tourism is again, very extractive and, and very unsustainable. We, uh, people sort of go to a place to check it off, you know, take some pictures and leave. We see place tourism or how placemaking tourism can work together as how do we support people to feel like they're contributors to the place, locals and and foreigners alike? How do we create, how do we get, we need strong places defined first and foremost by locals to accept and invite tourists in on the terms of locals in ways that tourists can contribute to the local identity and local culture and local economy. We want them to spend their time and money in ways that add to the place, strengthen it, not weaken it. You know, we need one way to do that is actually getting tourism agencies, marketing departments to invest in the product of tourism, which is the place and invest in placemaking, doing it with local communities to strengthen those products. And that sometimes becomes the best marketing. When people love a place, when they talk about it, when they have serendipitous moments in there, when they connect deeper with the fam- their family in that space, with people they haven't met before, you know, when, when they have these more emotional experiences, when they develop attachment to these places, that's the best marketing you can get. That's when they share the stories on social media, when they 
they tell the stories, um, when they stay longer, when they come back and visit it again, you know, that's, that's really impactful. So I do think tourism, if it's about placemaking can be one of the most powerful forces for shifting urban development, um, for shifting the conversation. And I think coming out of the pandemic, people are looking for more authentic experiences, looking to slow down a little bit, to connect deeper, looking to go to places that are sustainable, that they can add to. And so we, the tourism industry and, and urban development industry needs to help create these places that allow for the, that, that deeper connection. I have two final questions and then I'll release you. Okay. No <laughs> my, my first question is on how do you relate, because I want to relate it to our topic of interest. How can you reach, uh, relate placemaking with SDG 11.3 or SDG 11.3.2 specifically? How can you relate that? Yeah, as you, as you described, you know, I mean, the SDGs are, are an overall are really a key metric for for bringing place in public space connects bringing them together to make sure we don't and, and solve our biggest challenges by addressing each one of them alone we need our systemic and uh, our best tools for connecting them to address all of them uh, 11.3 is very important you know as you say about participation and and and, and so that's, again, about not just doing that because it's the right thing to do, but because we need to build our capacity collectively to have an impact to shape our cities. Uh, we actually helped advocate for 11.7, which was to get requirements for public spaces and their quality and safety into, into the SDGs uh, and worked with you and Habitat over the last 11 years or so now to make public spaces a global cause. We got public space and placemaking principles into the new urban agenda, which was the UN's document every 20 years to set the, the goals for urban development. And we got 10 of our key messages into that document. So we think we've gotten, we're SDGs and the urban um, agenda have gotten awareness for public space and, and sort of understanding of some of the basics of principle of placemaking. But now we, and, you know, I think that the, the, the global urban development conversation is really about implementation and how can place and placemaking be a means to facilitate achieving the SDGs and implementing the new urban agenda. So yeah. it's, you know, there's obviously many overlapping causes that are, all offer important goals to this. We are, our role is to help people see how place and public space can be a means to connect many of these efforts for effective and efficient um, implementation. Yeah. Another final question. I want to ask you about topic we've spoken about before, which is humanizing cities that happened in Al-Medin Al-Munawwara in uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So as far as I know, from my understanding, uh, from what you said and explained to me, humanizing cities what happened in al Medina and Munawwara was like an example of placemaking. Can you explain to the guests how is that? Yeah. So, so yeah, there was a wonderful couple conferences, I think, on, on humanizing cities that were led by the, the Center for Local Governance, the King Solomon Center for Local Governance that we've collaborated with a, a bit in Saudi Arabia. And uh, my father went, went there to speak at them. I mean, he's, he's actually worked quite a bit in Saudi Arabia and is involved in some projects there now. But that focus on humanizing cities, it's common sense. It makes sense, but it's not something that many parts of the world have really looked at and uh, making cities the human scale, making them um, about social life, about 
human activity, about human connection. So, you know, we, we'd love to help build on that conversation in Saudi Arabia. Uh, my colleague, Michael Mahaffey, has also was involved in those conferences and is still involved in, in Saudi Arabia and the, in the King Solomon Center for Local Governance. And so that's, the, you know, the, the momentum around public space and humanizing cities and placemaking in Saudi Arabia, the interest is very strong right now. We want to connect the people that are working on this already. I think there are all there that are have concerns that are coming at this from different, again, different sectors, different disciplines, yeah. different concerns. And so one first step is to connect those people, convene them, and show how a lot of the skills and ideas are there. So yeah, no, very excited about the momentum in, in the kingdom and, and look forward to supporting it through a, a placemaking network there with you. Wonderful, wonderful. Me too. That sounds really exciting. That's like music to my ears. So I don't know if you want to add anything, <laughs> Ethan, before we close off. Just, yeah, we, we love to connect with anybody interested in placemaking in the kingdom and beyond. And, and uh, we welcome people to get involved on our website. People can sign up on placemakingx.org to be an advocate. And we can then can help connect people that are interested in these issues. And, you know, whatever region people are in, they can, they can try to connect with the local placemaking networks and we will have, you know, conferences coming up, um, you know, all over the world. We, uh, we have placemaking weeks in Europe and in India, in Latin America, and the U.S. coming up in the next year, and J- Japan as well. So, so you know, and hopefully we'll do one in, in Saudi Arabia or in, in the MENA region soon too. So anyway, really love speaking with you and grateful for your leadership on many of these topics, Abby, um, and look forward to many collaborations coming coming up. Excellent. That's all we have for you today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Ethan Kent, for joining us today. We appreciate your time and effort to speak with us. Thank you so much. I look forward to working with you, Ethan, and look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you for your time. My pleasure, Abby. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us and listening to Arif. Remember that you can make a difference in the world even with small steps in the right direction. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a rating and a review. If you have a suggestion or a comment for future episodes, email me at abwer at warif.com. Until the next episode, have a good one.